episode 118 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 29th of March, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelim, Howdy, Graham, Hello, and Will. Hello! Let's get straight on with the news then. And first of all, we can't ignore this. Richard Stallman is back at the FSF on the board of directors. He announced it at Libra Planet conference, just came out with it, and uh, said that they were planning to make a video about it, but uh, they couldn't get their shit together to do that. <laughs> they didn't have the skills. <laughs> God, that says everything, actually. The video editing plugin in Emacs isn't complete. <laughs> Lift up your phone, press record. <laughs> Come on, they could have done it with fucking cheese. <sighs> Made some titles in GIMP, and then Caden Live, Open Shot. They have to go through every line of code first. <laughs> Anyway, suffice to say, this has ruffled some feathers, and uh, there are two open letters. One, uh, an open letter to remove Richard M. Stallman from all leadership positions, which has been signed by nearly 3,000 people at this point, and the letter in support of him has been signed by just over 4,000 people. So therefore, public opinion is that uh, he's being totally wronged here, and we should just let him get on with it, right? Yeah, that's that's how it works. Yeah, the fact that most of them are Russian bots or whatever have signed this other one. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> Alexibot257 will be having words with you. The only name I recognize out of those is Eric Raymond, ESR, and he said some wacky stuff in his time, so it doesn't really surprise me, whereas basically anyone you've heard of assigned the, the other one to get rid of him. But, you see, I'm not even outraged by this. I'm, I'm just indifferent. Like, Stallman is just fucking irrelevant. He's an anachronism. So is the FSF. Like, why are we giving them all this attention? Why are we even bothering to talk about this? They are not relevant anymore. Just let them go quietly into that good night. Just let them do their thing and just fucking move on. Don't care about them. I kind of agree with you. Did you also see that the FSF executive director has also stood down, um, John Sullivan. And I was going to actually make the comment of when are you going to edit this because I could see things moving quite quickly after this point. And also is that the FSFE have distanced themselves from Stormman also being back on the board, which is interesting because the FSFE has always been accused of being the kind of um, having very little relevance in the shadow of the FSF. But, you know, this, this actually may be a way for the FSF in principle, to remain kind of relevant through the FSFE. I don't know. I mean, I've met a lot of these people, and I always make the excuse that they're really nice. Um, but, I mean, that video of Stallman, he's just so... Himself. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and I guess that's something that I suppose we have to be sensitive to in a certain way. We're all used to dealing with difficult personalities. And, you know, Stallman does... A, he is, I mean, from personal experience, a difficult personality, but he's in an influential position, at least publicly, and at least in a kind of media way. He's not, though. He once was, maybe, but he's been irrelevant for a long time, surely. Yeah, I don't mean that. I kind of mean in a PR way, in the, in the fact that when people write about open source, they often mention free software and the GPL and, and Stallman's involvement in it. Well, I suppose so, but he, he's so out of touch, and the FSF are so out of touch with what actual computing looks like these days that I just don't see why people see him and them as influential anymore. But do you remember when you first got excited, if you ever got excited about free software, especially to some people, the, the, the kind of his stance, Stallman's stance on free software being absolutely you know so perfect is attractive to some people it's it's kind of a, a bit like um 
I don't know, it's very tribal it, and it inspires that kind of tribalism. And I think we're seeing that kind of tribal pushback. I watched some of that video and, you know, he, he makes some really valid points later on. The problem is, you know, things like the people unable to access certain websites if they don't use the JavaScript available, etc. The fact that web apps are taken over, you know, you can't do anything unless you use their web app, which means that, you know, technically they have control of what you're able to do when and where. Um, and these are all valid. The problem is if a message is delivered by someone who has got some either in unsavory opinions or opinions that have been misconstrued because they were poorly made, maybe, then it kind of damages all that good stuff you're trying to say. So, I mean, I think he has become tainted, whether he likes or whether it's fair or any of these things, he just has become that. Yeah, and the way this has been done is just further proof, in in a way, because it's just ignoring everything that's been said, ignoring the severity of the accusations and just say, no, 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 it's all life is normal. And the FSF is complicit in that. Contrast it with Torvalds, right? Now, what he was accused of wasn't as bad, but what did he do? He took time out, undertook training, like sensitivity training type stuff, was very humble about it, quietly came back, got on with his work, and everyone moved on. Whereas what does RMS do? He just be a complete fucking arsehole about it, and this is the result. <laughs> what is it you, you routinely say about him? He's the dumbest smart person in the room? Exactly. He Whereas clearly he is like book smart and you know clever in that intellectual sense much like Torvalds is as well you don't write a fucking kernel without being a genius and okay in this area often people lack social skills or whatever but that stuff can be learned if you go and seek out help for it like Torvalds did whereas Storman is so arrogant that he just refuses to get any help with that and has found himself in this situation where the, the FSF has had funding pulled left, right and centre and they're just fucked now because of him. I don't think he cares about the modern world and I don't think the modern world should care about him. I think I agree with you entirely, Joe. It's just it's just not relevant anymore. I don't know. See, I think it is. I think it's even more relevant almost in some cases, but I think we're sorely missing some sane leadership with it there. Not that I have any solution to this problem, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, the FSF could have been part of the solution to that by, you know, being a stronger leader. But, you know, this is just the latest example where they've been completely ineffective. Yeah. So who's going to take over as the champions of software freedom and privacy and stuff? Well, that's the ironic thing, isn't it? It's like the Stallman's stance on not saying open source and all that. A lot of us have thought has harmed open source because it's pushed people to... to not care so much maybe i think you mean free software <laughs> yeah exactly but that's what i mean and that that's damaged i think that has damaged the movement over the last 15 years it feels like we need separate czars one for freedom and one for privacy i think that free software can and will continue without privacy and yeah you know, we see the likes of facebook contributing an enormous amount to open source and simultaneously gathering everybody's personal data I think that these are two very complex, very large areas, and perhaps it deserves two people in there. I don't know who either of those should be, though. All right, let's talk about PHP. Now, their self-hosted Git instance was compromised. Someone pushed some very malicious code into it. 
it was caught, thankfully, but now they've moved over to GitHub. They were already mirroring everything over at GitHub, but now they just said, look, enough's enough. We're not going to self-host anymore. We're just going to take advantage of GitHub. It's free. Let's just do that. This, to me, is a perfect example of when you should do what you're good at and let people who are experts do their thing. Failing, I think you might disagree, maybe. Yeah, silos, again, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what you could do about this. I think, obviously, you're right, do what you're good at and then have other people do the other thing. But I just, I really wish everybody wouldn't just dump stuff into feckin' GitHub again and again. We just, everything will be in there eventually. It's not the web the way it should be. But one good thing about this is the fact that they did manage to catch it, which is an awful lot better than you could say for Solar Winds. I have found myself recently searching for things directly in GitHub that I would used to search for in Google. For example, uh, at the weekend, I was trying to work out how I could talk to my RoboVac via a Python <laughs> script. I searched for that on Google and came up with bugger all. I went to GitHub and searched for it on there and came up with quite a few projects. So I think there is something to be said for there being a central repository of software, open source software especially, whether that should be GitHub or not, I, I, I don't know. But um, I quite like the idea of it all being at least gathered together in one place because Google just doesn't seem to be doing that anymore. You know, I think you, you might have a point for that. And what I wish would happen is that it'd make it into utility so it wouldn't be owned by one company. And I don't mean this horrific foundation to end all foundations, but to make some form of responsive centralized one where... You could do all those things, all the great advantages of the monolith without the, you know, one person gets to own the monolith and laugh at everybody else as they can, like, shut them all down if they choose to. Without Microsoft, you mean? Yeah, essentially, that's where I was going. I was trying to be coy about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up, and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit, and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Audacity 3.0.0 has been released. Yay. A huge new update. I upgraded it before the show so that my recording should be perfect. Did you even notice? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I did. I dare. I dare not touch anything audio related on my PC these days. It's so little. I mean, I love it. It's brilliant that a project like Audacity exists and is continuing to be developed. And also, they have been promising to look into the UI. I've been critical of the UI in Audacity for a long time, even though I know lots of people like it, but. God, it is GTK too, don't you think? I really don't care about the UI. I don't, you know, I'm sitting here using Greybird on XFCE. I mean, kind of the the effects, they're non-modal, um, things like that, which I think are just so important. Well, the big headline here is a change in file format. Now it's AUP3. 
And instead of it being a small project file with a, a directory with a load of chunks of audio when you do recordings, now it's one combined file, which is a SQLite database, <laughs> which is a bit strange, but um, at least now it's more portable. Like If you wanted to send a session to someone, you don't have to zip it up or whatever first, and you don't accidentally delete the folder with all the audio in it. But then there is a downside to that. I have seen this happen where it somehow gets corrupted and people can't export the audio. And we've had them send it to us. I will say us, I made Drew do this, but I got him to basically take all of the tiny six second or one megabyte chunks and just put them together in Reaper or whatever, um, which is obviously, a, you know, well, he, he worked out a way of doing it anyway, but that was possible. Whereas now it's that little bit harder. You've got to get them out of this SQLite file first. Maybe it's less likely to grow up now. I don't know. So, you know, previously you were saying the people who know what they're doing should do the right thing. And you like these big centralized GitHub things. So uh, <laughs> obviously you're completely for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, it just seems like recovering it is going to take an extra step. Like, to be honest, I wouldn't know. I'd have to look up how to get the files out of that SQLite database. Yeah, it, it worries me as well. Um, I've also, I haven't tested it in terms of big files or big projects, but I've heard that some people have experienced some serious performance issues as well. Right. And you can't save them to a FAT32 flash drive or whatever um, because of the four gigabyte limit. It doesn't, I, I think I read it, it just, it won't let you do that because it will just shit the bed when it gets to four gigabytes, or whatever. So that's a bit of a downside as well. But then who's using FAT32 these days? Not many people, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, it's probably old-fashioned, but I think I'd like it if there was some kind of meta container like a tar or gzip file, um, you know, with some metadata alongside, or even the SQLite database alongside it, rather than the data being integrated into it. But the whole point is that it's one file. Mm, I know, but I mean, you just know. I mean, I've worked with audio for a long time, and there is, the, like you, there will be a time when you just need to get the audio out of it somehow. And it just feels so much safer for those files to exist somewhere. So I don't know about this, really. My beloved Audacity. Maybe someone will uh, introduce the, the old file format as well. Fork it, fork it. <laughs> fork it and pretty it up a little bit, maybe. But I, once again, I never actually save it as a project to reload a project. I mean, I save it for this, but otherwise I export as a WAV or FLAC and then forget about it. I seldom use the AUP format. But it's a bit like the GIMP in that way. I'd never use GIMP's internal file format, really. It's, you know, it's like a, you load up the application, you do what you need to do, and then you export what you've done. I save it first, actually. It's, it comes back to the old BBC Micro days <laughs> when uh, the, the only computing lessons I ever had. They broke you from then. Is that what happened? Is that why you don't like new things? Yeah, exactly. No, but they, they taught me that before you print, always save it first, because if it crashes then, you know, you want to be able to recover it. Mm. And so that's my instinct now. If, whether I'm working in GIMP or Audacity or whatever, I'll always try and save it before I export it, just in case. Do you save web pages to a file before you print them off the internet in case it blows up? Yeah, because I have to go into Windows to print because my printer doesn't fucking work on Linux. <laughs> this is an, an honest, truthful story. I spent the whole of my school holidays once typing up the source code to an adventure game onto my Acorn Electron. It took hours and hours. It actually made me quite good at typing. And then the final save that I did when I finished it, I saved it on my cassette. And I didn't know it, but the last blocks had gone on the plastic rollout of the cassette tape. Oh, bad. 
bastard. Oh, my God. Lost it all. Never played it. It was called Mystery of Silver Mountain. I would have fucked that PC through the window into the garden. <laughs> it remained a mystery forever, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something that I've not seen get much coverage, but I think is very important, is a piece by Dwayne Lafleur called The End of Amp. And in it, Dwayne talks about how Google's page experience is getting an update. And the bottom line is that Google search is going to stop prioritizing just AMP pages. And now in that carousel thing, if you've got a fast, well-optimized site, regardless of whether it's using AMP or not, it's going to get equal treatment, supposedly. So this is potentially excellent news at last. It is excellent news on the surface. I hope it's true. Um, I hope there's just nothing nefarious and secret Google thing going on in the background to make it not so. Yeah, but I also read something, and I wish I'd taken note where it was, but it was like some ridiculously high percentage of websites don't actually get the traffic anymore. They're only seeing that carousel traffic, which keeps you on Google. Well, yeah, but that's the point of this, that instead of it having to be an AMP site, if your site is well-optimized for mobile, then people will go through to your site instead of the Google-hosted AMP one. I don't think they'll go through to your site, though. They'll just read the bit at the top of the page. Well, yeah, I saw that on Slashdot. I think it was two-thirds of Google searches ended without a click. So you're right. But then there's still a third, and a third of all Google searches is still a lot. You wouldn't want to be making revenue from it, though. Being a slave to the algorithm. Damn right. I think we have to take our hats off to Fairphone. Because recently they updated their Fairphone 2, which is five years old, to Android 9. Okay, Android 9 is not the newest or whatever, but it is still an update that was very hard to do. And it does show their commitment to long-term phones that are not just disposable. They want to try and tackle this e-waste problem. And they made a video about this, about how they did it, and how they had to work with Lineage to overcome two problems. One, Qualcomm have totally abandoned the SoC in the Fairphone 2. And second, because they ship with Google Apps, they have to go through like nearly half a million tests to make sure that it's compatible with all the Google stuff to get certified to ship the Play Store and everything. And so to do all of that was very difficult for them. And I think we just have to acknowledge that that is good work from them. And I saw some people taking the piss, oh, Android 9, that's three years old or whatever. But come on, it shipped with Android 5 in the first place in 2015. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, my phone's five years old, but it suffers from always having the updates applied to it. And I've noticed recently just how slow it feels. And there's no reason for it other than the updates that have been pushed. And I can't say there's anything I'd particularly miss from the last five years of Android updates. I'd much rather the phone was as quick as the day I bought it. You do need the security updates, although if you've got Play services, then a lot of the security stuff is taken care of by that. Yeah, of course, yeah, but uh, uh, they won't be slowing down the phone. Well, well, they do, actually. From my experience with old tablets and stuff, that does get more demanding on it over time. What would be really great, if I had my magic wand, would be to get everybody to band together to make one of these baseband board what's-its and just everybody can base their phone off that and they can rejig it every year or whatever. But I just wish we could have something that was far more reliable for these types of updates, you know, much like the way the Pine phone works. And then, you know, you wouldn't really have to care. Like, I don't care about the hardware in my phone as long as it works. I mean, yes, my camera has been referred to in the potato variety, all right. But uh, I don't want to change a phone every few years either. 
your camera's on his ship because you refuse to install the proprietary, uh, I think it's like called G Camera or whatever. Get it out of here. You don't even need play services. You just download the um, the APK for it. What's it doing, though? It's in control of your phone, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's in control of taking awesome photos, and giving you night sight and stuff. And breaking your selfie cam and making you have to use the potato camera for that. But apart from that, it's amazing. <laughs> but anyway, hats off to Fairphone. Yeah. I hope they keep going with this. They are quite expensive for what they are, but this kind of makes it worth it, I think. Yeah, totally. A quick mention for Ubuntu Touch OTA 16, which has come out, which is the second biggest release ever, apparently. The biggest one was when they went from 1504 to 1604 as a base. This time they've updated masses of under-the-hood stuff and the browser and everything, and they are preparing now for the transition from 16.04 to 20.04 as a base. And on some of the supported phones, you can install Ambox very easily now and get Android apps working, I say in quotes. I tried even with AntennaPod, and that just seemed to crash quite a lot. But good progress from them. It's definitely worth checking out if you've got... An old OnePlus One, for example, sitting around doing nothing, then I highly recommend flash it with Ubuntu Touch. It's really easy to do, and you can experience where it is on a, on a pretty decent phone. I see it's got an image for the OnePlus 3T, and, yeah, you know, that, it's a really good phone. I like... It's powerful, it's got a lot of memory, and, geez, it could really fly in that thing, because, I mean, we normally compare it to things like the Pine phone. We talk about Fairphone supporting their old platform. There's like phones that are, well, tablets at least, that are eight, nine years old on this list. Yeah, I think the difference there is that this is aftermarket and, you know, it's not necessarily daily drivable. Whereas what Fairphone did was, you know, do a proper update that meets all the tests and it is going to work absolutely perfectly. But yeah, this is still cool that if you've got a totally unsupported device from other operating systems, then it's definitely worth having a look at uh, Ubuntu Touch. And another quick shout-out for EDW, Elementary Developer Weekend. They write on their website, for years we've dreamed about creating a conference for open-source app developers. There are conferences for the people who are already on the inside, the ones building the platforms and big first-party apps, but we're bringing those on the outside to include them in the process. And so they, I've got a call for papers, which is open until uh, April the 20th. I can't help but think that might be a little inside joke, that date. But nevertheless, uh, you've got until 4.20 to uh, submit your talks and ideas. But we'll link to it in the show notes, edw.elementary.io. You can suggest ideas or talks. So uh, it's going to be pre-recorded presentations streamed online with optional live Q&A. So it sounds like good fun. It's going to actually be June the 26th and 27th the date of it, so get that in your calendars. And also we were asked to mention the Ubuntu 2104 testing week. We'll link to the Ubuntu discourse. Popey's got a post there. Ubuntu and the flavors are participating in this Ubuntu testing week from April the 1st to April the 7th. And so they encourage you to download the daily ISO and do various tests, make sure it's all working on your hardware or VMs or whatever. So check that link in the show notes. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into your Linux environment. By uniting metrics and events from servers, databases, applications, and more, Datadog can easily give you a unified view into your entire infrastructure. Easily identify hidden sources of latency, like overloaded hosts, by monitoring server metrics alongside application data. 
With machine learning-based alerts and features like anomaly detection, Datadog can also help you to monitor and alert on the health of your servers in real time without alert fatigue. Start your Datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com slash late-night-linux. Start your free trial, create one dashboard, and you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash late-night-linux. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who's supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate it. Remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. If you want to find out details of that, latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. The next Mumble get-together will be on Friday the 9th of April at 10pm UK time. We tried a Thursday, but I think Friday makes more sense generally. So we'll probably end up sticking to that. The details are at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. And uh, check out Late Night Linux Extra 18, which is uh, a recording from one of the recent meetups. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I was thinking in the shower earlier, the world is like slowly getting back to normal now. People will be commuting a bit more. So if people start asking you for podcast recommendations, then do tell them about us. Make sure we're top of the list. Let's do KDE Corner then. And uh, KDE Dev tries Gnome 40. Yeah, I only got this last minute, so I didn't watch all of it. And um, I would think we should all watch this because it's always good to see what the competition's up to and you know why people are doing things better. And overall, likes it. So I think it's quite good. So I think we should give that a quick watch. I'm going to watch it fully, properly, to be quite honest. But uh, yeah, from what I've seen, yeah, it looks very nice, very pretty well done desktop. So yeah, this is Nicolo, isn't it? Who we've linked to before. He was the one who was doing the themes. Yeah, the non-development themes. Oh, exactly, exactly. It would be interesting. I've been trying out Crime 40. We didn't talk about it because I know that you would just shit on it, Phelan. <laughs> and Will, you're not going to get it for another year, probably, on Ubuntu. So it's not really that relevant. But um, I don't know whether it's better or not, really. Like, it's all about the gestures and stuff. And if your touchpad doesn't support those gestures, then I don't know. It's it's not that much change to me. I don't know. It just seems like GNOME generally to me. So another call for papers then, Academy. Yeah, so Academy 2021 is online this year uh, between Friday the 18th and 25th of June. And they are looking for a call for papers before the 2nd of May. And um, yeah, get your titles in. They're doing lightning talks, full talks, things like that. And they are looking to for people to get involved. All right, and what's this cute six is getting going? Yeah, it was a, a very quick one. It's obviously too late because it was yesterday and the day before. Um, but the KD Framework 6 sprint was hopefully taking place unless something catastrophic happened over the weekend, which I didn't know about. And uh, they are getting started on that and the progression to move to QT6. So it's all in process. So I think that's a good thing. And hopefully no showstoppers and everything will go plainly and smoothly and all will be well. And uh, one last thing, uh, Alish Poy got in touch with us. He is the KDE EV president and he heard our talk about the updates and how, you know, they're moving towards the offline updates and stuff. And he has a blog post coming out. He's not quite finished yet. So look out for that one. And they're trying to explain it a little bit better as to why and the reasons for doing it all right well yeah we'll look out for that then right we'd better get out of here then we'll be back next week when we'll be covering your feedback and some other stuff but until then i've been joe i've been phelan i've been graham 
and I've been well. See you later.